I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. On this episode of News World, the new Omicron variant of COVID, which was identified by scientists and researchers in South Africa, has been widely reported and speculated about. But what do we really know about it? which has now been detected in 30 states and the District of Columbia. Also, what do we need to know about the pandemic now? What about home testing kits, preventive therapies, uh, vaccines, and boosters for all age groups? How do we stay safe and still enjoy the holidays together? Here to help answer some of our questions about what we need to know, I'm really pleased to welcome back my guest, Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary is a surgical oncologist and chief of the Johns Hopkins Islet Transplant Center. He is a clinical lead for the Johns Hopkins Sibley Innovation Hub and serves as executive director of Improving Wisely, a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation project to lower healthcare costs in the United States. He is the recipient of the 2020 Business Book of the Year Award for The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. I want to thank you for joining me, and it's a pleasure to have you on again. We last spoke in July of 2020, and we talked about the cost of health care and your book, The Price We Pay. But I want to have you join me again to discuss the pandemic and what we need to know now going into the holidays. So let's start with the Omicron variant. Where did it come from, and how is it different from other variants? Well, it's great to be with you, Newt. Thanks for having me. The Omicron variant, I believe came from an animal reservoir. And the reason that's important is that 
People forget that millions of animals have had COVID, and when it circulates in the animal population where we're never going to see it eradicated, it mutates. And the only way you can really get 32 mutations on the spike protein, which is more than the typical several mutations we see with Delta and the other variants, in my opinion, is that it circulated in the animal kingdom. Now, there's a study that showed a third of deer in Idaho had COVID, millions of rodents. So somewhere in South Africa, probably in the animal kingdom, this mutated and it came about in a different form. And that's where it came from. Now, the reason that's important, in my opinion, is because they're going to keep spitting out more mutations forever in perpetuity. And we just need to recognize that we're going to see variations of COVID for which we think our current immune protection is probably pretty good. That is, partial immunity is enough to reduce that risk from severe illness to a mild common cold type infection. But we don't see White House press conferences when the new seasonal flu strain arrives in the United States. We don't have the White House doing a briefing saying, we now have a reported case in San Francisco. But that's what we need to learn to live with is mild variations of this COVID-19 virus. The bat population in South Asia apparently has all sorts of coronaviruses. I was looking at a study the other day, 20% of all the mammal species are bats. They're much more common, actually, than people realize because you don't see them. They're nocturnal. But they're very, very successful. And they were talking about some bats that have dozens or scores of different coronaviruses in the bat. The bat's used to them. They cohabit, if you will. And it sort of is just a reminder that as the human race gets better and better at traveling around, and as there are more and more of us, we're going to have some kind of outbreak on a fairly regular basis of something. And what made this different, of course, is that in the first phase, the people were dying. But as you're saying, we're now looking at a variant, which I think, with the possible exception of one person in Great Britain, I don't know that anybody has died from it. But it gets the kind of news coverage that is out of all proportion. As you point out, the number of people who die annually from the flu is significant, but we deal with it as a fact of life to be coped with, not as something to be eradicated. That's right. There are a million viruses on planet Earth, and roughly half of 1% to 1% of them have crossed over into human beings. Now, they're ubiquitous. They're all over the place. You look at the common cold, it's not actually one virus. It's a host of dozens of viruses. So when people say, are you worried about the virus? I ask them, which one? Influenza, econovirus, rhinovirus, RSV, which had more kids in the hospital than COVID-19 this year. More kids were in the hospital with respiratory syncytial virus, a common circulating viral pathogen than COVID-19. What's happening with COVID-19? And it's a real risk for those who are older with no immunity. That is no vaccinated immunity, no natural immunity. They are at serious risk of this virus with a case fatality rate of somewhere between one in 200 and one in 600. So for that population, it's a real risk. For the rest of the 200 plus million Americans, it represents a mild common cold-like illness risk. So what's happening is COVID-19, as it's downgraded with immunity to a mild virus, we are still seeing the same stigma that we saw last year. And you and I saw this stigma back in the days of HIV. 
oh my God, there's a case in the school, right? The doctors say it poses no risk to the other kids, but maybe there's some theoretical way in which the child, what if the kid cuts themselves and an ounce of blood splats out and lands on the eye of another kid, even though there's never been an ocular transmission. It could be my kid. And that sort of irrational stigmatization of a virus over other threats, other safety hazards, other health concerns, is what we're seeing today, right? So the unvaccinated pose no threat to the vaccinated. And those who are vaccinated are coming up with these constructs, right? Well, you could give it to This person who could give it to my friend, who could give it to their cat, who could give it to their child at home, and therefore that child could give it to somebody vulnerable. That's the sort of irrationality we're living with today. It seems to me that in many ways, COVID-19 has become a cultural, psychological problem more than a health problem. You know, you keep kids isolated long enough, you're affecting them even if they don't get the disease. A lot of the reaction... I mean, part of it was the tool to beat up Trump, but part of it was the news media is desperate. If it bleeds, it leads, was used to be said. Nowadays, they had a big vested investment. It's like the weathermen who always love if there's a hurricane coming because large tropical storm details at six sort of thing. And so the number of non-hurricanes that are almost hurricanes, if you're in a place like Houston or New Orleans or Miami, is just sort of amazing to watch. And gradually people learn how to filter it out and go, okay, call me if it actually turns into something. But I was surprised because I used to represent the Center for Disease Control and I used to help them get money for new buildings at billion-dollar units. I thought they really failed to handle this entire experience and the whole public health system failed to handle the totality of this experience starting in January and February of last year. And Their confusion fed into the media's hysteria, which fed into the politicians' hysteria, which then became almost a tribal behavior. So there are the maskers and the non-maskers. There are the everyone has to get vaccinated and the get vaccinated if you want to or don't get vaccinated at all. So you have these tribal behaviors that actually weren't disease-related, but they were disease-initiated. I don't know if that makes any sense from your perspective as an expert. As we move into the COVID-19 endemic phase, that is, it's going to be ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And if you test for it in the noses of 100 Americans, you're going to find it in people with no disease in maybe three or five of them. doesn't mean they need to be quarantined because they pose no risk to the general population or the risk is so small it's negligible. It doesn't justify quarantining. So if you test right now 100 Americans for meningococcus, which is a bacteria that causes meningitis, it will show up positive in 10% of Americans. Tuberculosis, you'll find that in 3% of Americans. That doesn't mean it poses a public health threat. And we're moving to that phase with COVID now where you can take a young, healthy basketball team and you'll find COVID. The PCR test is so good, you can pick up one dead virus particle They don't pose a threat to other low-risk, young, healthy kids who are also immunized. You know, Germany just came out with a study showing the risk of dying of COVID in kids 5 through 17 without vaccination. Not the risk, but the total death count in the entire country. We're talking like, you know, 80 million people was zero. No healthy child 
died of COVID in the age group 5 to 17. Now, that was over a 15-month period, and there were deaths, but they were clustered in people with medical conditions. That tells us those are the people who really need immunity. And for the other healthy folks, they're in good shape, but we've immunized them. They have natural immunity, and we're still acting in this irrational way. The CDC has been a disappointment. You know, I like a lot of the folks there. I've got friends there and at the FDA and NIH. They're good people, but I'll tell you, I have had serious issues with almost every aspect of the COVID strategy, from failure to warn of it, the initial mass guidance, the lack of a reopening exit strategy in the spring of last year, schools, vaccine allocation, summer camps, and now we're seeing it with the sort of hysteria around Omicron. They've never really provided good data, the data we need. Take, for example, Omicron hits this country end of November. Where's the CDC doing the experiments, providing the real-time data? The countries ask, the world economy is on hold. Markets are in whiplash. People want to know, has anyone died? Has anyone gotten severe illness? Has anyone hospitalized? The data lives in little tiny pockets around the world. Then we have over 50 cases in the U.S. Tell us about those cases in real time on a dashboard. Have any of them been hospitalized? So we haven't gotten good real-time data, and instead what we did is we let pharma do the experiments testing antibodies to Omicron. So the basic experiment we should have done on day one is you take this new virus and you test it in the lab against antibodies that people have to COVID. And what you see is whether or not the antibodies bind. That experiment, I've talked to immunologists, they can do that in one day. So we have two BSL-4 virology labs in the U.S., highest level. You don't even need a four. You can do it in a three. And in fact, they probably did it in a three. That is, pharma did it in a three. The CDC and NIH sat on those labs. Those labs collected dust. We spent a lot of money on those labs for so-called bioterrorism prevention. Those labs sat dormant as we deferred to pharma. Pfizer, you tell us whether or not this vaccine works against Omicron. And Pfizer does the experiment. Then they give cryptic results, just top-line data, no underlying data. And they just put out a press release saying everybody needs to get a booster. Based on what? Because Pfizer is telling us in a press release. The next day, the CDC parrots the whole thing out. Now, look, older folks need a booster. But for young people, I mean, the FDA just voted down boosters for everybody two and a half weeks ago. Whatever happened to those experts? I didn't remember any occasion where a pharmaceutical company could report on its own tests, on its own drug, basically validate itself, send it out, and have it actually accepted as though it was an independent trial. I have great respect for Pfizer, which is a remarkable company, and they obviously have a brilliant marketing department because they pulled this off, but it's crazy. There's no independent validation. And one of the things I noticed for example, was that the Center for Disease Control refuses to recognize that there is natural immunity. There have been like 141 research studies that confirm natural immunity is the same as vaccine immunity. From your perspective, why do you think CDC refuses to accept that natural immunity means you actually don't need a shot because you're already immune? You know, it's one of the greatest failures of our public health leadership. And it comes from an old school mentality that 
I don't believe something until you show me a randomized control trial. And until I see that trial, it's not true. That's an old school medical thinking. And, you know, look at our medical leaders. They're old school. Fauci, Collins, Kessler. I mean, they've had some great contributions in science. I respect them. But they're dinosaurs. I mean, they talk and they have a different perspective. And when you talk to some of the fresh minds in science, they'll tell you, why is our starting hypothesis natural immunity doesn't work? Starting hypothesis should be it works just like it did for the other hot coronaviruses, SARS and MERS, until proven otherwise. And so, as you know, I've been just basically doing 100% public health for the last five years of my career. And the last two years at Johns Hopkins have been focused on COVID. And it was very clear to me that when we had a limited vaccine supply and people were still dying last year in January, we shouldn't be giving it to people already immune. Immunizing people already immune is near insanity. And we had all these people dying who were clamoring for the vaccine. So I started writing and talking till I'm blue in the face, five op-eds, as you know, going on TV almost every day talking about natural immunity. And then finally, all these scientists around the country tell me, you know, Marty, thank you. I want to talk about this, but there's a lot of pressure on me at my institution, or I've been bullied, or I've been threatened here at my institution, or I've been shunned because I talk about natural immunity because it's seen as your anti-vax because we got the edict from on high from Fauci and friends that every human being needs to be vaccinated, period. So anything that challenges that, the fact that some kids are super low risk and may not really benefit, or there may be vaccine complications we see in young boys, or the dosing is too close together, three weeks, no vaccines given three or four weeks apart. That was a mistake. It was a mistake with good intentions because they tried to get the trial done quickly. So they put the doses so close together. We now see all these side effects and complications of that early second dose, it should have been spaced out three months and subsequent studies have found that is the optimal strategy, best immunity, best durability, lower side effect profile. And it's true of every other vaccine in mankind. So anything that you would say that challenges this dogma that the FDA rubber stamped a two dose regimen for all Americans was seen as anti-vax. And we began a modern era McCarthyism So then I would talk to public health officials and say, look, the data are clear. All these scientists around the country are reaching out to me saying, thank you for speaking up on natural immunity. I can't do it. I don't have the platform or I get bullied. And so our public health officials, and I'm not going to name them or suggest anyone in particular, but I talk to them privately. They say, yes, Marty, natural immunity appears real and durable, but we're afraid if we say something then people may choose to go out and get the infection rather than get vaccinated because they might think natural immunity is better or an easier way. In fact, some research shows it's better than vaccinated immunity. And I tell them, look, we can be honest with people about natural immunity and encourage vaccination among the non-immune. At the same time, we can be honest. Why this paternalism? I mean, we've seen this again and again in medicine. And the days of pregnancy testing, there was this blockade. The old guard establishment did not want women to have home pregnancy tests because they felt they couldn't interpret the news. And there was this intense paternalism. We're seeing it again now, and we're seeing it with the sort of waging World War III on mild infection among the immune.
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Wouldn't the rational strategy early have been to focus the vaccine on health workers and the very elderly. So you'd want to go into nursing homes, you'd want to go into places where you have a large number of people over 70 or over 80, and you'd want to make sure that the people who were going to most consistently be dealing with the disease were also immune. And fairly early, I think we had enough vaccine that had we targeted it, we would have covered those two populations and dramatically lowered the death rate, particularly for the elderly. 
That's right. We should have done that, but instead we had this massive, ugly bureaucracy putting out complicated guidance on Group 2B, and it left states in decision paralysis. By the way, the guidance from the CDC officially came out two weeks after the vaccine was distributed. So they had, you know, nine months to turn in their homework, and they chose to turn it in after the class was over. And then it left people in this paralysis, and healthcare workers, they should have specified frontline healthcare workers. We don't need a 22-year-old esthetician doing Botox who already had COVID and doesn't even need it, being the very first person getting it in December when it came out. We saw that. And of course, I wrote several articles saying, look, you have a conversation about racial equality with Black Lives Matter. And then ironically, guess who's getting the vaccine the second it becomes available? People with power and influence insert themselves in the vaccine line just because they can, essentially saying, my life matters more. It was massively mishandled by the CDC. Along the same line, there was some decision to minimize the power of therapy and maximize the focus on containment at a point where it was clear they'd lost the containment fight. (laughs) Still is. Still is a problem. We still hear these people only singularly focused on COVID zero, which is an irrational, really a delusional concept, especially given the animal kingdom conversation we just had. They're just shooting for COVID zero, hunt and trace and lock up everybody who tests positive. We should be focusing on hospitalizations, not positive test results. But they're focused on COVID zero and they're singularly focused on vaccines. So it comes at the total exclusion of therapeutics and In my amazement, almost in a tragic way, I read the study on fluvoxamine, an antidepressant that's been around for the entire pandemic. It's like four bucks. And the data are clear that it reduces COVID hospitalizations by up to 50%, reduces COVID mortality by up to 91%. Now, these are not fringe studies. It's not ivermectin and hydroxy where you've got mixed results and people come in and try to figure out how to make sense of it all. 100% of the data is favorable, dramatically favorable, and there's zero data to the contrary. And there's a known mechanism. It's a drug that's been around for a long time. Never once have we heard about it. These studies are in JAMA and Lancet. These are not small journals. I talked to doctors, they've never heard of it because Fauci's never mentioned it. And we have this intense 100% monofocus on vaccines. It's come at the exclusion of fluvoxamine, steroid nebulizers, saline nasal spray, monoclonal antibodies. I mean, no one should be dying of COVID right now. Nobody should be dying of COVID with rare exceptions given the incredible power of these therapeutics that can be used in combination. And now we're going to add Merck and Pfizer's antiviral drug, which, by the way, are pan-coronavirus antivirals. They work against all variants. No one should be dying of COVID right now. You know, I worked with Fauci a little bit in the 80s when he was truly heroic. And we were dealing with HIV AIDS. In fact, I did panels on questions like, would you be worried if your waiter had HIV? And the answer, of course, is no, not if all you're doing is having dinner. And it was a very serious effort, partly, I think, driven by the gay community, to make sure that people did not exaggerate the risk of HIV AIDS and did not stigmatize people who got it. Fauci's a world-class scientist, despite his recent television personality. Why wouldn't he understand the core point you're making, which is, it is a goofy idea 
to try to get to a zero population of COVID. Now that it's a worldwide virus, it's inconceivable. We have tracked down and done a pretty good job with things like polio, but these kind of viruses are much more mutational than polio and much deeper in the animal population. And it strikes me that inevitably, once it broke loose, you were going to have to get around to figuring out a way to cure it rather than avoid it. Because I don't know of any experience where a commonly spread virus can be successfully destroyed. This isn't like the handful of things we've been pretty good at. (laughs) I agree 100%, Newt. There are four other coronaviruses that have circulated every year that are seasonal for decades. As a matter of fact, maybe for centuries. We just only started DNA sequencing in the last 70 years. I agree with you, first of all. Dr. Fauci is a gentleman. I mean, look, I've disagreed with him on almost every aspect of the government's response to COVID and these other issues we're talking about. But you cannot deny it. He's a gentleman. He's had significant contributions to science and with HIV. And I reached out to him and I said, look, I just want you to know as I'm out there giving a different perspective, it's not that I don't respect you. It's just that I have a different opinion, medical opinion, and that should be healthy. It should be good. We used to have an open dialogue, not cancel the other opinions. And by the way, he couldn't have been more than gracious. I mean, saying, you know, Marty, I respect you and thank you. He said, I think we're more aligned than, you know, it may appear. He's a gentleman. But I think there's a bandwagon effect when in politics, and you're more the expert on this, but when you get out sort of these talking points and let's rally and directly from the president, the White House, okay, here's the edict, vaccinate America, every single human being with two feet, get a vaccine. It's like, that may be easy for marketing and for sound bites, but it's not medically precise. Being medically precise would be honest with people and say, look, you had COVID, you've got circulating antibodies. You can get a dose of the vaccine, but there's no scientific evidence that you have to. We've ruined lives, careers, people fired. They've got circulating antibodies, but they are antibodies that are not recognized by the government. They have antibodies that neutralize the virus, but they are not recognized by the government. How crazy is that? Well, along the same line, it strikes me that you've got two different challenges here that I really can't understand how the scientific elites have coped with them. One is, as we were talking about, the theoretical improbability of a strategy of trying to go for zero COVID when it's now a worldwide, very widely distributed and rapidly evolving system. The idea of zero creates almost a crazy kind of goal. And the second is objective data. I mean, One of the things we pulled together for this conversation is if you look at college football, I was really struck with this when I watched the Michigan-Ohio State game on television. I think it's the largest football stadium in the country. And you got like 106,000 or 110,000 fans, zero masks, because they're all drinking and screaming. All of the effort early on to have choirs not sing. And then you watch all these Michiganders going nuts. And before the football season began... The weekly average infection rate on a five-week growing period was 0.44%. After the football season started, it dropped to 0.18. Now, at some point you would think if you look at the number of people who went to 
football games, both professional and college and high school, in the last couple of months, you would begin to wonder about the whole way in which we have structured the model of the disease spreading because these did not become super spreader events. Yeah, my research team just put together this analysis and published it in The Hill and just tweeted it out. The rate of the infection in the population before the SEC started in the home counties of the places where the stadium events occurred was 0.35%. Afterwards, it went to 0.08%. It had a dramatic decline after tens of thousands of people have gathered. And I've been to the big house in Michigan. It's pretty remarkable. By the way, those seats are tight. It's the largest stadium for a reason. I mean, they are packed in there. And JAMA put out a study, again, completely dismissed by the medical establishment and public health officials. This is in our top medical journal, Journal of the American Medical Association, titled Contact and SARS-CoV-2 Infections Among College Football Athletes During the SEC. And they go through all the football games, and they basically conclude that there was no transmission. Now, these are also low-risk people. What you've got is a second pandemic that's set in after the COVID pandemic, which is a new pandemic of lunacy, of Georgetown University telling people, we're going to randomly test you, and if you're positive, we're going to put you in a jail cell, basically a hotel room in solitary confinement for 10 days. If you leave, you could lose your tuition. We'll drop off food once a day at the door. That's what they're doing at Georgetown. Amherst, all vaccinated, and you still have to wear a mask and all this. University of Massachusetts Amherst now requiring boosters. I mean, what is the risk of a fully vaccinated American getting hospitalized from COVID? It's one in 26,000, and that one person has an average age of 73. What are we doing to these kids? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. 
The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow The Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. I think what we're describing is a sociological pattern that's really worth investigating and understanding because it fundamentally breaks with science. And I don't know to what degree it was the funding by Bill Gates of vaccines on a worldwide basis that created a class of people who got together at conferences and in effect brainwashed themselves so that if you just chant vaccinate, vaccinate, everything will be fine. But it's clear that there ought to be very profound hearings and investigations by Congress, if we had a Congress which was able to deal with science, that would look at the fact that the public health system in the United States is just plain broken. And it's now susceptible to waves of information that are totally non-scientific, totally based on political prejudice or cultural prejudice. And as a result, we probably had a lot more people die than should have. And we certainly have damaged, if you look at the impact on young children, we have certainly damaged millions of people who did not need to be hurt in order to contain this particular disease, which is simply one more outbreak, like SARS, like MERS, like the bird flu. I mean, these things are going to keep happening And we had better have a national discussion about a more competent, more rational, and more scientifically based approach to this. As a non-medical person, just as a historian, that's kind of my take of what we've lived through for the last two years. You know, we used to have, Newt, along the lines of what you're suggesting, we used to have an open dialogue where it was not the science, it's not... This is the science. Science is an evolving strategy that changes based on data that comes in over time. And instead, we've got this sort of political approach to science and then cancel the dissenting opinions. And what you see is that when you have this oligarchy in science, a small group of people are making all the decisions on COVID. Let's be honest. A very small group of people are influencing all the medical community, public policy, and it's Fauci and Collins and Kessler behind the scenes, and they're making all the decisions. Now, a lot of their decisions are right and good, but when you have that degree of sort of shutting out and crowding out other views and using the idea of we have to stick together even if we have different ideas, we have to stay on point, we have to carry this out to its completion, and what you end up with is a lot of group think. And so we had it on failure to warn of the pandemic. Dr. Fauci was not alarmed. You can go back in the emails that have surfaced with the FOIA. Everybody was asking him, head of the NFL, bank leaders, hey, is this something I need to take seriously? Clearly, he was not sounding an alarm when many of us were running around on cable news sounding the alarm. And then we had this idea from him and his colleagues that it was surface transmission. It wasn't airborne, it was surface transmission. Ask any doctor in the United States, not every, some of them are really smart and they see through this. And matter of fact, we talk among ourselves a lot. But most doctors in the United States were just falling in line with what Dr. Fauci said. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. 
if you think of a song, two songs that you can sing as you wash your hands, what were you doing pouring 50 gallons of alcohol gel on our grocery bags? It was group think. And one of the most tragic things that, you know, I have witnessed, and so it's just so painful, is the group think among doctors to shut out loved ones from saying goodbye to their dying relatives. That was a human rights violation. It went on for way too long. Some places it still goes on. It's a disgrace. There are things worse than dying. We should have never shut people out. Let them take the risk, say goodbye to their loved one. That was a disgrace. It was group think again. And then shutting down schools and now ignoring natural immunity. So there's a lot of danger to group think. And when you have diversity of ideas, that's important when you've got an oligarchy making all the decisions. It's interesting because Einstein made the point that when he came out of school, he couldn't get a job teaching. And so he ended up working in the patent office for the Swiss government. And he said in later years, if he had been on a campus, the social pressure would have blocked him from developing relativity as a theory because relativity was so unacceptable to the senior physicists at the time, all of whom ridiculed it, that it required him, in essence, being isolated from the dominant physics thinking in order to generate what became the next dominant physics thinking. (laughs) And I think because of his personal experience, he was always very skeptical of anyone who thought that we now have the science, because science is a process of continuously disproving what you thought you knew yesterday morning. You know, you wrote a terrific book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. I hope you'll consider doing a book in the fairly near future on the public health system we need, not just what's wrong with the current system, but we have to start thinking about the fact that the animal kingdom has more surprises in store for us. And sooner or later, we're going to get one that has a fatality rate. Somebody pointed out HIV had the highest fatality rate of any virus or any disease that had crossed over into humans, even higher than Ebola. But we've been very fortunate in that the truth is that COVID does not have a particularly high fatality rate compared to some of the things that are out there. And if we ever get a really contagious, high fatality disease, we have got to have a radically better system for coping with it than we currently have. And, you know, you would do the country a great service if you outlined what the system we ought to have, not the system we do have. Well, thank you. I'll think about writing another book. I feel like I just gave birth and I can't think about another child. You know what that feeling's like after writing a book. I know, but on the other hand, you're one of those people who's truly dedicated to a better public and a better future. You know, I want to just highlight a point you made because it's so important. In the world of pandemic, in the history of catastrophic pandemics, this was a mild pandemic. You know, 400,000 kids died, almost half a million kids died of malaria just in the year before COVID. Nobody cared. Nobody noticed. Nobody covers it. And so what we have is this intense focus like heroin. Yeah, it's out there. It's a problem. But when it's opioids, which is the same active ingredient, then it's affecting people. And we know then it's a crisis. And so we've had influenza seasons that have accounted for 30 to 81,000 deaths every year. One of the silver linings of this pandemic is we're no longer going to find it acceptable to show up to work coughing and sneezing and slobbering sitting right next to somebody. But 
in the world of pandemics, we got lucky with a case fatality rate of 0.2%, basically one in 200 to one in 600, depending on the risk profile. So we got lucky. What if a virus came around with a case fatality rate of 10%? I mean, it's very, very conceivable, right? And it's not a question of, are we going to have another pandemic? We've already had, what, seven in our lifetimes? We've had SARS, MERS, Ebola, Zika, H1N1, even polio, you know, people that remember that from 1955. We cannot have the FDA sitting around twiddling their thumbs, looking at an application like a college review board for two months, and then having an expert panel vote. I mean, look at Merck's drug, Molnupiravir. The expert panel voted two weeks ago to go ahead with it. What's the FDA doing? What are they doing? The vote is done. Are they looking for a public notary to put out their authorization? I mean, this is the stuff we cannot tolerate during a a pandemic. And, you know, final point on this, my research team at Johns Hopkins just did a study of where the NIH spent their money last year, the year the pandemic hit. And they spent 5% of their money on COVID. And most of that was at the end of the year. So here we had a pandemic hit us and all the big questions were being thrown at us in the medical profession. How does it spread? When are you most contagious? How long do I need to quarantine for? Do masks work? Are kids at risk? So all of these questions got thrown at us. We did not have any answers. We had a void of scientific research. The NIH pivoted 0.05% of their funding to COVID research in the first three months of the pandemic. They had no research going on. Labs were shut down because of PPE shortages. And you had no answers. So you had a void, the vacuum of scientific data. So guess what answered those questions? Political opinions. In my opinion, that's a failure, not of science, but a failure of government. Oh, I think that's right. And I think that is part of the reason I think we have to imagine what a truly effective modern public health system would be like in totality, not just CDC, not just your community public health, but the whole process by which we absorb new information and respond to new challenges, because it will happen again. Given everything you've looked at and all the studies you've done, what's your advice to people about staying safe during the holidays? During the holidays, I think one thing that we should keep in mind, and something we've never done well during the pandemic is recognize that the risk of COVID is not equally distributed in the population. And so what we now know is that the folks who are still vulnerable are a very specific segment of the population. They are the 20 to 25 million Americans who are adults with no vaccinated immunity and no natural immunity. And if there's someone in that group that's gathering in a public setting or is going to be in close contact, they're going to be at risk. And remember, we're still seeing people show up at the hospital. And we're still seeing people have a lot of regrets about not being vaccinated when they have trouble breathing. That's the very specific group of people that needs to be careful. Everybody else, in my opinion, should feel good about their immune protection. They should feel really good about their immunity and live a normal life. Now, if you're gathering and you're not sure about someone's immune protection, You don't have to worry for yourself. You need to worry for them. So that's how we need to think about it. Let's say you've got grandma and a small gathering of people and everyone's vaccinated but not grandma. If you want to be extra sure, you can test yourselves before you're around grandma. And again, the extra precautions are for those who are vulnerable. Everyone else should feel good about their immunity and live a normal life. 
Marty, I want to thank you for coming back and joining me again for a second time. We do want our listeners to know that we have a link to your book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It, on our show page at newtsworld.com. And have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You too, Newt. Thanks so much. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Marty McCary. You can get a link to buy his book, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.